Hi, Atherbeth listeners. Before Steph gets to the episode, we want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Learn more by visiting podvoices.help. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. We encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. Friends, welcome to Atherbeth, a podcast exploring the quintessential queens of Tolkien's Legendarium. My co-host Jude Vase is taking a vacation this month, and he'll be back with us in the next episode. I'm Steph Midlock, and this is an episode of Steph's Shorts. Steph Shorts, you're here in my shorts. Welcome to my shorts. Have fun in my shorts. When folks list how many women they can remember from Tolkien's Legendarium, it's common to hear the big names like Galadriel, Arwen, and Eowyn, and to a lesser extent, Luthien and Melian, and maybe even a few members of the Valar, like Varda, Yavanna, maybe even Nienna. Delving slightly deeper, a simple Google search of the subject leads you to multiple, like, list-type articles with enticing titles like 10 Awesome Female Characters from The Lord of the Rings or 6 Badass Ladies from Tolkien's Legendarium. If you can wade through the waist-deep sludge of advertisements that flood your screen when clicking on these sites, they sometimes do present you with lesser-known ladies. Noble women such as Tar on Kalame and Halith, and ladies down on their luck like Neonor and Muriel. Well, today I'd like to focus on a woman who's often left off these lists due to her obscurity or perhaps her ambiguity. In this episode of Steph Shorts, let me introduce you to a tidbitty goth girlfriend in Tolkien's Legendarium that I think you should know. I find her both endlessly interesting and annoyingly challenging at the same time. In this age of TikTok thirst traps, tall vampire mommies, and the general crumbling of society, this person feels like the woman we all want but don't necessarily deserve. I'm talking about the one, the only, Queen Beruthiel. Cue the theme song!
the Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Book 2, Chapter 4, A Journey in the Dark, Rangy Heartthrob and future King Zaddy Aragorn is reassuring his companions that Gandalf will find a way through the minds of Moria, saying, quote, He is surer of finding the way home in a blind night than the cats of Queen Beruthiel. The colloquialism passes quickly and is never referenced in the main text again. So who is this queen and what's the deal with her cats? It's okay if you don't know. It seems that maybe Tolkien doesn't really know either. The references to Queen Beruthiel are few and far between. Let's start our quest for this quirky queen a bit outside the legendarium with some of Tolkien's letters. Letter 163 is written to W.H. Auden and is dated June 7th, 1955. Auden, a well-known British poet and author who reviewed The Lord of the Rings for the New York Times, had written to Tolkien ahead of a BBC talk that Auden was set to give about the professor's work later that year. Auden asked if Tolkien provide any, quote, human touches about how the book was written. In his response to Auden, Tolkien explains that characters and concepts reveal themselves in their own time, sometimes surprising him. Along with the well-loved characters and storylines he calls out, Tolkien name-drops our mysterious queen, saying, quote, These rhymes and names will crop up, but they do not always explain themselves. I have yet to discover anything about the cats of Queen Beruthiel. This phenomenon of Tolkien discovering characters and stories rather than writing them is something we've discussed on this podcast in the past, and it comes up again and again. In letter 174, dated November 10th, 1955, to a Lord Halsbury, Tolkien confirms that further information about this elusive queen is just not available. This short letter is about his publisher's revived interest in the Silmarillion after the success of The Lord of the Rings. Tolkien says, I do not think that anything is referred to in the L of the R, which does not actually exist in legends written before it was begun, or at least belonging to an earlier period, except only for the cats of Queen Beruthiel. Tolkien mentions this again in letter 180, a draft to an unidentified reader, dated January 14, 1956, saying, Quote, there is hardly any reference in The Lord of the Rings to things that do not actually exist in its own plane of secondary or sub-creational reality. End quote. There is a clarifying footnote from Tolkien that reads, The cats of Queen Beruthiel and the names and adventures of the other two wizards, five minus Saruman, Gandalf, Radagast, are all that I recollect. So what Tolkien is saying in these letters is that this queen is the only instance in The Lord of the Rings that's not backed up by pre-written legend, making her quite the anomaly, one that Tolkien feels compelled to bring up again and again. Next, I wanted to check other works in Tolkien's legendarium for our lost queen. I found no mention of Beruthiel or her cats in the Book of Lost Tales. However, there is a notable feline character in the Book of Lost Tales, Part 2, Section 1, The Tale of Tenuviel, that I'd like to mention because it is, for lack of a better words, bonkers. The Tale of Tenuviel is an early version of the story of Baron and Luthien, the very same that we get to know in The Lay of Lathian and of Baron and Luthien. The tale of Tenuviel brings us to Vildo, Prince of Cats. 
Tevildo was an evil and mighty black cat who followed Morgoth around and was the lord of all other cats. Tevildo and his cat army hunted birds and beasts for Melkor's table. And it's said that the elves still hate all cats, even after Melko was no longer the ruler. While Tevildo didn't make it to the final version of the story of Baron and Luthien, he was replaced by the necromancer, i.e. Sauron, the lord of werewolves, in later drafts, I think it's worth mentioning him here, as a kind of foreshadowing of the cats of Queen Beruthiel. From this less-than-glowing outlook on cats, one might guess that Tolkien was, eh, more of a dog person. Also, you can imagine what the Lord of the Rings might have been like if Sauron was a giant cat. The heroes could have just used a well-placed laser pointer, like a ball of yarn or something, to distract him long enough to destroy the ring. <laughs> Alright, I'm getting slightly off topic. Queen Beruthiel surfaces again in The Unfinished Tales, edited by the author's son, Christopher Tolkien, and published posthumously in 1980. This book threads together Tolkien's extended unpublished manuscripts and notes. Many of these fragmentary morsels have that beautiful Tolkien effect of providing just enough to hook you, but then ending way too soon, leaving you wanting more. I came across Queen Beruthiel, when reading the notes in Part 4, Section 2, about the wizards, called the Istari. Note 7 provides the biggest chunk of information we have about Beruthiel, and it's not much. Christopher Tolkien says that the story of Queen Beruthiel exists, if only in a very primitive outline, in one part illegible. She was the nefarious, solitary, and loveless wife of Taranhan. 12th King of Gondor, 3rd Age, 830-913, to and the first of the ship kings, who took the crown in the name of Falastor, Lord of the Coasts, and was the first childless king. Beruthiel lived in the king's house in Osgiliath, hating the sounds and smells of the sea, and the house that Taranon built below Pelligrir upon arches whose feet stood deep in the wide waters of Ethir Anduin, she hated all making, all colors and elaborate adornment, wearing only black and silver and living in bare chambers. And the gardens of the house in Osgiliath were filled with tormented sculptures beneath cypresses and yews. She had nine black cats and one white, her slaves, with whom she conversed or read their memories, setting them to discover all the dark secrets of Gondor so that she knew those things that men wish most to keep hidden, setting the white cat to spy upon the black and tormenting them. No man in Gondor dared touch them, all were afraid of them, and cursed when they saw them pass. What follows is almost wholly illegible in the unique manuscript, except for the ending, which states that her name was erased from the Book of Kings. Quote, but the memory of men is not wholly shut in books, and the cats of Queen Beruthiel never passed wholly out of men's speech, end quote. And that King Taranon had set her on a ship alone with her cats and set adrift on the sea before the north wind. The ship was last seen flying past Umbar under a sickle moon with a cat at the masthead and another as a figurehead on the prow. Whew! 
We get a great deal of information about Baruthiel from that passage. Thanks, Christopher. All of these puzzle pieces really helped, at least for me, to center her in my mind. And she sort and sort of like turned her into the Morticia Adams of my dreams, to be totally honest. In addition to the gothy tendencies of this sullen siren, Christopher gives us another name in conjunction with Baruthiel, her husband, Taranon Falastor. Maybe learning a little bit about this guy will give us some more insight into her life. In the Lord of the Rings, Appendix A, Annals of the Kings and Rulers, Section 4, Gondor and the Heirs of Anarion, we learn that Taranon was the 12th king of Gondor. And with him began the line of four ship kings, who built up the navy and strengthened Gondor's power along the coasts west and south of the mouths of Anduin. He was known as the Captain of the Hosts, and eventually took the crown in the name of Falastor, Lord of the Coasts. In section two, called The Realms in Exile, the Southern Line, Heirs of Anarion, we learn that Terranon Falastor 913 was the first childless king, and he was succeeded by the son of his brother, Tarsirion, or something like that. Okay, so that didn't really give us any new information. Uh, that's kind of what Christopher already said. So I guess a foray into Baruthiel's husband really wasn't as fruitful as I had hoped. Baruthiel and her cats still elude me. Queen Baruthiel's loathing towards the world in which she finds herself, her monochrome fashion, her spooky decorating choices, and her general disdain for, frankly, everything, made me like her immediately. After a few long years of the coronavirus, civil injustice, political unrest, and the loss of my basic human rights, and basically the widespread uncertainty of the world, I challenge anyone to write off this moribund maiden. But sometimes when Tolkien giveth, he also taketh awayeth. We have a bit more information on Queen Beruthiel that changes and muddles my initial feelings of glee about her. In 1966, Tolkien gave an interview to his former student and fellow author Daphne Castell titled The Realms of Tolkien that was published in the November 1966 issue of New Worlds Magazine, a British science fiction magazine. While physical copies of that particular issue of New Worlds are very hard to find, the interview thankfully exists online on the Fantastic Metropolis website. Jude and I will put a link to that in the show notes. It starts with a lovely foreword by Michael Moorcock, who became editor of New Worlds in May of 1964. He talks about how the interview came about. In this introduction, Moorcock introduces us to Daphne Castell and notes that she's one of the first women published in the magazine. He also says that Castell was one of his favorite contributors. She had studied under Tolkien and still lived in Oxford, and she was the perfect person to interview him for the magazine. The second introduction, written by famed Scottish science fiction writer David Pringle, gives us a feeling of personal importance for this interview. Pringle writes that when Castell's New Worlds interview was published, Tolkien was still relatively unknown to many. In November 1966, when this came out, Pringle was 16 years old and had never heard of Tolkien before. To jog your memory, dear listener, the Lord of the Rings books were published in hardcover over the course of 15 months starting in 1954. Pringle notes that while it sold well in hardcover format, it really wasn't that accessible to many readers. 
Pringle says that Tolkien's popularity skyrocketed around 1966 due to the Ace and Ballantine mass market paperback editions that were published in the U.S. And those came out between 1965 and 1966. So this interview was really what brought Tolkien into Pringle's life. What a wild notion. In the interview, Daphne Castell writes that she met with Tolkien in his home in Oxford. The two of them sat in the garage, which had been transformed into the professor's office, and that Tolkien sort of paced around while puffing on his pipe and spoke very quickly with the cadence of a storyteller. While it was hard to hear him at times, she did her best to record the interview. As she had been his student, Tolkien granted her the interview even after saying he wasn't going to give very many more, finding himself sick of them. The tone of the interview really struck me, like I was listening in on a private conversation between friends, which I suppose was indeed the case. In the interview, Tolkien brings up Queen Beruthiel without much prompting. Tolkien talks about how many things in The Lord of the Rings allude to older legends that give a sense of an in-world history, things that are later summarized in the appendices. He then talks about Queen Beruthiel as an exception to this, stating, There is one exception that puzzles me, Beruthiel. I really don't know anything of her. You remember Aragorn's allusion in Book One to the cats of Queen Beruthiel that could find their way home on a blind night? She just popped up and obviously called for attention, but I don't really know anything certain about her, though oddly enough, I have a notion that she was the wife of one of the ship kings of Pelligrir. She loathed the smell of the sea and fish and the gulls. Rather like Scotty, the giantess, who came to the gods in Valhalla demanding a recompense for the accidental death of her father. She wanted a husband. The gods all lined up behind a curtain and she selected a pair of feet that appealed to her most. She thought she'd got Baldor, the beautiful god, but it turned out to be Njord, the sea god. And after she married him, she got absolutely fed up with the seaside life, and the gulls kept her awake. Finally, she went back to live in Jotunheim. Well, Beruthiel went back to live in the inland city and went back to the bad, or returned to it. She was a black Numenorean in origin, I guess. She was one of those people who loathe cats, but cats will jump on them and follow them about. You know how sometimes they pursue people who hate them? I have a friend like that. I'm afraid she took to torturing them for amusement, but she kept some and used them, trained them to go on evil errands by night to spy on her enemies or terrify them. Then Castell's voice comes back to the reader saying, I should very much have liked to hear more about Queen Beruthiel, who sent a pleasant grew down my spine. It is not often you have a chance to listen to an entirely new story from your favorite storyteller. How interesting, I thought, while reading this interview, that a kid like David Pringle, who had never heard of Tolkien, would be immediately introduced to this kind of weird character of this goofy queen. Before many of the other heroic characters that are now household names, some readers heard about this nefarious cat-torturing lady. Like Castell states, perhaps it even felt like a letdown that there wasn't more about this fascinating character in the main text. But it is here in this interview that we learned that Beruthiel was possibly a black Numenorean and also apparently liked to torture animals, which is so, so bad. This is where my heart sank. Black Numenorians are described in The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, Book 5, Chapter 10, The Black Gate Opens, as such. Quote, 
They established their dwellings in Middle-earth during the years of Sauron's dominion, and they worshipped him, being enamored of evil knowledge. End quote. More research tells us that the Black Numenorians were former members of the King's Men Party, a group of Numenorians in the latter half of the Second Age who followed Tar and Kaliman and the final Numenorian kings in their doomed rebellion against the Valar. The king's men were fearful of the, quote, gift of men, i.e. their own mortality and the perceived limits that their mortality put on their power. Fearing their demise, they became defiant of the Eldar and the Valar. Their embrace of the teachings of Sauron led the king's men to hate and oppose Elendil and the faithful. In a cruel twist of fate, during the downfall of Numenor, the king's men were off-island, colonizing Middle-earth and building fortresses. I see you, Umbar. And they were busy serving the will of Sauron, so of course they survived. They suck wholeheartedly. You can see why I was not very happy to learn that this registered hottie and all-around bad girl was all of a sudden an actual baddie. I was disheartened to say the least. Tolkien's idea of Beruthiel in the New World's interview in 1966, as someone he didn't really know much about, someone he simply guessed about, that's an exciting reinforcement of Tolkien's ultimate framing device, that instead of being the author of the Legendarium, Tolkien merely discovered the stories of Arda and relayed them back to us. That these historical documents were written by various authors from the past, and as history tends to do, there are holes and gaps in certain places. Queen Beruthiel is another figure from history that Tolkien didn't fully discover, so sadly, neither can we. I don't believe that Christopher Tolkien's note about Queen Beruthiel in the Unfinished Tales gives the impression that she was part of the Black Numenorians, but the New World's interview is pretty damning. Tolkien says clearly, she was a Black Numenorian in origin, I guess. Daphne Castell wrote that she had wished to hear more about Beruthiel. I will admit, there's a part of me that wishes maybe Castell didn't hear Tolkien clearly as he paced around his study and sometimes became a tad inaudible with a pipe in his mouth. But I guess I need to examine that part of myself that really needs every character I like to be one of the quote-unquote good ones. At the end of the day, it's okay for me to like Beruthiel, even if she's painted as a bad person. I guess it's good to keep in mind that she doesn't have to remain the way that Tolkien painted her in this article. She can take on new life if it's willed so. We've said on the Atherbeth podcast that one of fan fiction's great values, of which there are many, is to redress some of the things that are underserved by the original text to create new characters with traits that are missing from the main text and to fill in characters that are kind of, you know, hollow. My girl certainly fits the bill. Maybe fan fiction could help me feel a little more connected to Queen Beruthiel and her cats. So I headed over to a website called Archive of Our Own, a nonprofit repository that provides access to and preserves the history of fan works and fan culture, known affectionately as AO3. A basic keyword search of Beruthiel on AO3 brings us over 50 hits at the time of recording. I was overjoyed. 
I mean, here she was. She was waiting for me. A quick read of a few of these fan works paint Baruthiel as many things. A misunderstood dreamer, a sorceress in love with an elven woman, a shipwrecked queen returning to her home to find a treasured childhood friend. All these new guises for a woman who I kind of regrettingly really liked. It made me so happy to know that others have discovered Baruthiel before me and felt the way that I did. They wanted more of her. These fan works breathe new life into my forgotten queen and her spy cats, and I'm very grateful. So where does all this leave Baruthiel? And to a lesser amount of importance, where does this leave me? Without more primary sources, Baruthiel is, like so many of Tolkien's tantalizing characters, relegated to the indexes. Even in the brief snapshot we get of her in the unfinished tales, it's clear that she doesn't fit into the usual character categories of noble person, brave fighter, wise teacher, skilled healer, and so forth. Baruthiel is in her own category, a cranky person who simultaneously wants to know everyone's business, but also just wants to be left alone. She is the original social media lurker, Finally, a character I can relate to, even if I don't really know her. Then, when we learn more about Baruthiel's origins in the 1966 New Worlds interview, we start to understand that Tolkien didn't know Baruthiel terribly well either. From the main text, we know her only by her cats, which are simply part of an off-handed idiom used by a future king one time. She was a piece of ancient in-world history that was largely forgotten. For me personally, Baruthiel is a challenging figure. I love her, but I don't want to love her. I mean, I'm a cranky, kind of a jerk, self-obsessed, childless woman as well, but I don't want to see myself in her shoes if she is a black Numenorean who hurts cats. She's been sorted into an unsavory category of wrongdoers, and that sucks. I hear, I hear, all right, all right, I hear what you're saying that maybe it's okay to recognize pieces of yourself in the anti-heroes. And you know what? Okay, you're right. I get it. I love Baruthiel, but I'm mindful of the more challenging aspects of her, even if those aspects are vague and somewhat half-baked by the very person who created her. I guess what I'm saying is, there's room for both the good and the bad in the things that we love. Nothing is all good or all bad, but it's all sort of shades of gray, right? It's important to constantly question the things that we love, and it's imperative to point out the places where those well-loved things fall short. It's true of Tolkien's Legendarium, and it's true of Baruthiel. So in the end, I'll make peace with Queen Baruthiel and her cats, and I'll stay open and receptive to what she can teach me about myself. But what do you think about the story of the Cats of Queen Baruthiel, dear listener? Let me know on Twitter and in the Athrobeth Discord. I'd love to hear your take on her. Was she evil or just misunderstood? Should she have been left out of Tolkien's in-world history books, as said in the Unfinished Tales? Did I miss something about her? 
Let me know what you think. You've been in Steph's shorts. Now get out of here. This has been Steph Shorts, Cargo Boxer, or Escort. You've been in my shorts. Now get out of my shorts. The road may go ever on and on, but this episode of Steph Shorts is over. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes as it helps increase our visibility and it makes me feel good. Thank you to everyone who's left a review. You are amazing and I love you forever. You can find us on the web at podcast.atherbeth.com. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at atherbeth underscore cast. Jude can be found at Aramidic Jude and I can be found at the North Four, F-O-U-R. Title music is Lord of the Devil Rings by Pony Music, courtesy of Pond5. Other music and sound effects licensed by Soundstripe. You can find them on the web at soundstripe.com. Atherbeth is produced by James Pearson. James can be found on Twitter at jpearson. Thanks so much for listening! Well met, friends. I'm Steph Midlock. Welcome to Atherbeth, a podcast exploring the busty beauties. No, girl, no, I don't have one. Oh, my God.